Tonight, we're going to be looking at another question that every Christian should know. Last week, we asked and answered the question, can I be sure of my salvation? Answering the question as to whether or not believers can have assurance of their salvation. And the topic that we'll be looking at tonight has some overlap on what we talked about last week. There are two different things, but there is definitely some overlap. This is a topic that many have confused and just lumped the two together. And so tonight, we'll be looking at the doctrine of eternal security in a message that I've titled, Saved and Secure. In your Bibles tonight, we'll be looking at John chapter 10 and verses 27 through 29. And in a moment, we'll look at those three verses. John chapter 10, 27 through 29. Is there anything better than being saved? Now, this may seem like a rather obvious question and should seem rather, rather straightforward, but think about this with me. Is there anything better than being saved? And there is. It is great to be saved. And as we talked about last week, it's great to know that you're saved. But what we're going to talk about tonight, even better than all of that, is great to be saved and know that you'll never lose your salvation. Tonight we answer this question, can I be sure that I'm eternally secure? And just as much as some Christians struggle with the assurance of their salvation, whether or not they're saved right now, Christians will struggle with this idea of their salvation being eternally secure. Over the years, I have had several mature Christians approach me to say that they either struggle with eternal security or don't even believe in this doctrine. Some will take that position because of a denominational stance. But I don't really care what stance a denomination holds to. My beliefs are always going to rest in God's word. And God's word makes this doctrine very clear of eternal security. Tonight, I'm not going to show you what different denominations believe and what they hold to. I'm going to show you what the Bible has to say about this all-important doctrine that every Christian should know. And if the Bible says it, you should believe it. And if the Bible doesn't say it, we'd have no authority to believe it. So the doctrine of eternal security is a foundational doctrine of the Christian faith for several reasons. First, for your own spiritual health. It is vital that you have security in your eternity for your own spiritual health what kind of a christian would you be and can you really be without eternal security how stable would your christianity be if you were always wondering whether or not your salvation was secure whether or not it would hold up whether or not it will last as the years go on imagine if your household experience growing up went this way that every time you acted up as a child in disobedience, you didn't do what you were told to do, that your parents kicked you out of the house and disowned you. Now, some of us may want to do that with our kids, but imagine if that was the case, that every time your, your child, children acted up, or every time you as a child acted up, your parents kicked you out of the house and disowned you. Maybe then after several weeks, you made things right, and you were allowed to come back and be once again a child of your parents again. But think about the emotional roller coaster you as a child would be on if this is how you lived your life, wondering whether or not mom and dad were going to kick me out for this offense. I forgot to take out the trash today. Is that going to be what tips the scales, and now they're going to kick me out for this? All of these things are going to be weighing in your mind as you consider every little thing that you do 
as to whether or not this is going to be what sends me packing. This would be a miserable way to live your life. You'd be a miserable wretch if everything you do, a passing glance that may be misunderstood, just not acting as quickly as you should when you're told to do something, you'd be so miserable because you'd be second-guessing every action. You'd be wondering if every decision, every word, every glance that you gave to your parents would be the one that would lead to you being excommunicated again. This is no way to live a childhood. There's no way to live even the Christian life. And it certainly isn't healthy for your spiritual welfare. And second, for your own productivity. Eternal security is important for your spiritual health, but also for your own productivity. How productive can you really be as a Christian if you're constantly fearing that the slightest misstep is going to cost you your salvation? You're not going to be productive at all. When you're not sure that your future is secure as you've come to Jesus in faith and, in, in faith and belief, if you're not sure, you're going to be in heaven one day. You're going to live every day in worry and panic. But when you know that you are eternally secure, your productivity for Christ will just abound. In 1937... The Golden Gate Bridge was being built in San Francisco. Now, I don't necessarily recommend going to San Francisco today, but I've been there, and I've seen this bridge. I've driven across this bridge, and it's quite a sight. But while it was being built, workers dealt with some very dangerous conditions. This massive bridge stands hundreds of feet above the waters of the San Francisco Bay, and many of the workmen were fearful of falling to their death as they're working hundreds of feet above the sea there. In fact, 23 people actually fell to their death over the course of the construction. And it got to the point that they figured something needed to be done. So what they did is they spent $100,000 and they built a safety net underneath where all the workers were working. And what they found is that the productivity of the workers increased exponentially. When they removed the fear of death from the mind of the workers, because the workers are there hundreds of feet above the sea wondering... If this step is going to be a slippery step, if I'm going to misstep, is the wind going to come and gust and just throw me over this edge and cause me to fall to my death? Everything they were doing, they were walking on eggshells, fearing that it may be their last step. But now with a safety net underneath them, they're able to have the shackles of that fear broken and able to operate and to work without fearing that they're going to fall to their death. 23 people died from falling off that bridge before the net was installed. And after the net was installed, only 10 people fell off the bridge and every single one of them fell and was caught in that net. That net gave those workers a sense of security, allowing them to move freely, to operate without any sort of fear. And things got done a lot better. And this is how the Christian life should be. When we can understand that our eternity is not secure in us keeping it secure, but secure in the power and in the grace of God, our productivity as a Christian will abound. When we have confidence in the future, we can effectively concentrate on the present. So it's vital for our spiritual health. Eternal security is vital for, for our productivity, but also third for our witnessing. I have witnessed to people who have told me that, they, uh, that, that salvation is a waste of time for them because they will never be able to maintain it. 
If you only knew me, there's no way that I would keep my salvation. Don't bother wasting your breath. They've convinced themselves that salvation is about living up to a list of rules and regulations, and should you offend even one of these, your salvation would be lost. Now, it is so encouraging to be able to tell someone that the same God who saves them will also keep them saved forever. God doesn't go through all of the work to make salvation possible only for it to be lost because we weren't strong enough to keep it and to maintain it. The doctrine of eternal security is a great tool when it comes to witnessing to the lost. And what we mean by eternal security, very simply, is that a person who's truly saved, a person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Son of God, the one who's died on the cross for his sins, this person can know that his salvation is secure in Jesus Christ, that when this life on earth comes to an end, he knows without a shadow of a doubt he is going to be in heaven with God. Many people think that they're saved because they attend a church. Many people think that they're saved because their parents were saved. Many people think that they're saved because they were baptized as a child. A person is not saved apart from believing in Jesus Christ as his Lord. Then and only then can a person have eternal security. There may be people we know who have drifted from the church, who have wandered from the fellowship of the brethren, and, and based on some of the choices they are making, we might doubt their salvation. Maybe they're saved, maybe they're not. But honestly, we are not equipped to judge between who is saved and who isn't. Many people look like Christians and act like Christians, but have never been saved at all. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he addressed this false profession of faith in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 to 23. Listen to what he says. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name do many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The people that Jesus describes here are people who look the part because you can fool anyone by, by looking the part. But he says these people who looked the part, but their profession is nothing more than words, and it's empty words. There's no true faith there. There's no true substance to what they're saying. All across this world, there are people who are professing to be Christians, who are attending churches, who are singing in choirs, who are serving in the nursery, who are teaching in Sunday schools, who are help taking the offering, who are even preaching behind pulpits, and Jesus will one day say to them, I never knew you. Our passage this evening, John 10, 27 to 29, is one of the prominent passages with regards to eternal security. Follow along as I read these three verses. John 10, 27 to 29. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. There is a difference in this passage as opposed to the verses that I read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. In Matthew 7, Jesus was speaking of those who professed to know him, 
but had no eternal security because there was no truth in them. There was no truth to the claims that they knew Jesus. But here in John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of those who truly have come to faith in him. And they're believing in him and have full assurance and full eternal security. It doesn't matter how religious you are. If you don't know Christ, you have no eternal security because you are not saved. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, the Apostle John, he describes a group of people who have professed to be Christians. They're making the right claims. They appear to fall from the faith. So what is it? Are they saved and they've lost their salvation or were they ever saved at all? It says in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from, from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now what it's saying is that these people started out for God in their claims. These people have made all the right claims. They're doing all the right things as far as passing the eye test is concerned. And maybe they're attending church. Maybe they're even helping out with vacation Bible school. Maybe they're even singing in some of the choirs. Maybe they're participating in, in different facets of the ministry. But whatever they did, they stayed a while and they contributed, but then they went back to the old way of living. Then they abandoned the things that they were doing as far as serving God is concerned. Some might look at them and say, well, that person is a wayward Christian and maybe he's even lost his salvation because now there's no fruit of him being saved. But the Apostle John is saying here that they were never saved to begin with. And the basis by which he comes to this conclusion is that had they truly been saved, he says, they would have continued with them. They would have continued with the believers. Someone has put it this way. He says, The faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. I'll say that again. The faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. They never truly knew the Lord. And that is why they turned away and stayed away. A true Christian will not be able to turn away and to stay away. A true Christian will indeed go through seasons of distress, will indeed face sorrow, will indeed go through some dark periods of life where he might even wander from the fellowship of the Lord and the fellowship of the brethren, but the Lord will always draw him back because the Holy Spirit is always there within him. The unbeliever doesn't have that. The unbeliever does not have the Holy Spirit living within him to lead him back to Christ when life gets tough. Now, with the rest of our time this evening, I'd like to give you several reasons from the Bible why I believe in eternal security. Now, this isn't my thoughts. This is actually what the Bible has to say about it. So we're going to be bouncing around in Scripture and looking at various verses. We'll come back eventually to John chapter 10. But just bear with me and have your Bibles ready as we will flip back and forth and look at several different verses of Scripture and identify eight reasons why I believe in eternal security. First of all, God's specific promise. God specifically promises this. God has made a specific promise to every single believer. And in Romans chapter 8, this promise is very clear. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, with regards to our eternal security, listen to these words. Romans 8, 38 to 39. 
The Apostle Paul writes, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this verse and these two verses don't say that none of that is ever going to happen, that the Christian is going to avoid all of these horrific things, that he's going to avoid death and all sorts of oppression and problems and issues. But he says, these are going to happen. But as these happen, he says, none of these will have any sort of influence as far as costing your, your salvation. You're secure and eternally secure. This is one of the strongest statements on eternal security in all of Scripture here. When you break down these verses, you actually find 10 specific enemies to our salvation, all of which are seeking to destroy us, but all fail to stand against the unmatched power of the Almighty God who keeps us secure forever. The Apostle Paul gives a laundry list here. He says, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, any other creature. All of it fails to rob you of your salvation as a true believer. God is showing us that there is literally nothing, not even yourself, nothing at all, not even the devil, can separate us from himself once we are saved. This is God's specific promise to every single believer, and it is meant to assure us that we can always rest in his unfailing word. God's specific promise first, but second, notice God's determined purpose. God's determined purpose. We read in, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, and a lot of these verses will be familiar to you, and maybe you never thought about some of these verses as a good verse to teach the doctrine of eternal security. Maybe your eyes are going to be open tonight. But if Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 tells us about God's determined purpose, another reason why we can be sure we have eternal security. God's determined purpose. Philippians 1 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't save you and then stop the process and say, all right, you're on your own from here on out. Maintain it through your own power and strength. Hopefully I'll see you up there one day. He says, he who started it, he who saved you in the first place, will be faithful to keep you saved until he brings you into the glories of heaven. He's doing it all. He is doing it all. God's determined purpose is to save you as you come to believe in him and to keep you saved throughout all of eternity. The Apostle Paul was stating here his confidence in God to complete in him what he had been called to do. He was confident that God would complete what he started. Now, since God, again, is the one who saves us, he is the one who sees us through completion. Not that we're in the process of being saved. Please don't mistake that. We are not in the process of being saved. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you believe on him as a son of God, you don't start a process whereby you're going to be saved in five years or 10 years or 20 years, and when you get to heaven, you finally realize, okay, I made it. No. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Immediately. Process doesn't start then and finish up later on. It is right now. Effective immediately. And your eternal security kicks in right then. You are saved at the very moment of salvation. He is the one who saved us. He is the one who keeps us saved. 
It is not something that we're going to do ourselves. And the Holy Spirit starts everything as the one who convicts us of our sin in the first place. We don't become disgusted of our sin on our own. It is the Holy Spirit who shows us just how sinful we are and that there's a need for us to make things right, but it's never going to be on our own. We need to throw ourselves at the mercy of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 11 tells us another very familiar verse. As soon as I read it, you're going to remember it. It says, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicted us of sin. Not only does he convict us of sin, though, the Holy Spirit is the one who also converts us. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens our understanding and he allows us to understand things that are only spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that, that there are certain things that before we're saved, we just can't understand. Because the natural man does not understand the things of God. And so these things that the Bible is telling us about are only understood and fully understood through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is specifically why before every time I come to preach, I pray. I don't want it to be my words that are being delivered, but I want it to be the words of the Holy Spirit that she's speaking through me. Because anything given to you through the Holy Spirit is truth. The Holy Spirit is also the one, though, who brings completion. God doesn't save us only to fail to keep us saved partway along the journey of life. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God's specific purpose, God's or God's specific promise, God's determined purpose. And third, God's sovereign predestination. God's sovereign predestination. I've gone Calvinist on you tonight. I mentioned Romans chapter 8 earlier. I want to reference two more verses from Romans chapter 8, this time verses 29 and 30. Romans chapter 8, 29 and 30 speaks about God's sovereign predestination, not the way you might think. Though These verses say, Romans 8, 29 to 30, speaking of God and in context with believers, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, there's a lot of big words that are being thrown around here, but what these verses tell us is that God has a plan for every single believer from the very beginning of time. This passage can be difficult to understand, but what it is telling us is that before the foundation of the world, before you were even a thought to anyone, you were a thought to God. God saw every person who would be saved from the beginning of time to the end of time. He saw every single person who would ever be saved, and he determined what the outcome of their salvation would be. He determined the means of salvation would be through Jesus Christ, and he determined that the outcome and the results of that salvation would be that every single believer would be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so he saw all this. He determined what the outcome would be, which is for believers to be conformed to Jesus Christ, to be in heaven one day. The moment you're saved, God begins this process of sanctification in which he is daily making you more into the image of Jesus Christ. It is daily preparing you for your life in heaven. And he did this, he determined this before time ever began. He established that this would be the results of salvation. And what God has determined will indeed come to pass. God's plan for every believer's eternal home will not be undone by anything. 
Not any work of man, not any working of Satan, not by anything at all. And that is why Romans 8 verse 30, it ends by saying this with regards to the believer. It says, them he also glorified. Now, the language suggests that this has already been done, right? It's past tense. Them he also glorified. It's been done. It's been accomplished. Are you glorified yet? Have you looked in the mirror today? If this is the glorified body, boy, we're in trouble. Because it's getting older and grayer every single day. My wife said she's noticed some gray hair on my head. I, I refuse to admit that. But it says here, them he also glorified. The reason that God looks on believers this way is because he looked on the believers from before time began and he saw every single person that would ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. He determined the results of that and he said, them I'm going to glorify. Because it is a certainty that they will indeed be one day glorified. So that's why he can say there in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, them he also glorified. We can only see, you and I can only see our present circumstances, but God has the luxury of seeing everything all at once. All moments in history, all at once. So God can look ahead into the future of every single believer and confidently say that they're all good as glorified. I know they're still alive. I know they're still walking on this earth. I know that their bodies are weak and frail. I know that they're struggling to get up in the morning. I know that those knees are aching a little bit more today. I know that the shoulder is acting up. I know that the hair is falling out. I know that the face is getting wrinkly and a whole host of different things that are evident that our bodies are failing. But he says, that person, by result of faith and trust in my son Jesus Christ, he is good as glorified. He is glorified. His spot is secure in heaven. There is nothing that's going to take that away. There's nothing that's going to change that. Nothing of his own undoing. Nothing of the devil's doing. Nothing at all can change the fact that because of this person coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the determined outcome of that is that he will be in heaven one day. He is as good as glorified. You're eternally secure because God has predestined every single believer will be glorified in heaven one day. Number four, God's perfect provision. God's perfect provision. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. God's perfect provision. Hebrews 10 and verse number 14. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Did you notice the end of that verse that it said, God, it says, has perfected them forever that are sanctified. Perfected, not for a few years, but forever. Not as long as you can keep it, but forever. Not as long as it is taken from you, but forever. Jesus Christ offered himself upon the cross once, not to ever have to go back again, and his one-time offering perfected forever all those who would ever be saved. Because of the perfect sacrifice, we have a complete perfection in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is so important for us to understand because when we're saved, God isn't just giving us a fresh start in life. He's giving us eternal perfect perfection through his offering. 
Search the Bible, search it through from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, and you will never find where a person was saved twice. You'll never find where a person loses their salvation. You won't find that any more than you won't find where a person was physically born twice. Just as you were born physically once, a person can only be born spiritually once. A person's spiritual life is never lost. And there is never a need for a person to be twice born spiritually because by one offering, God has perfected forever every single believer. Now, does this mean that once you're saved, you're never going to sin again? Well, wouldn't that be nice? Of course not. But some people think that their salvation is guaranteed as long as they don't, they don't ever sin. I've met people who have told me that they've been saved hundreds of times. And they think that they have to be if one sin, if they think, costs them their salvation. So you have to be getting saved every single day, right? If that's your belief, if that's your understanding, that it is only as good as how good you can keep it. But the truth of the matter is that salvation is never lost. Jesus is our Savior. He's not our probation officer. He's not here to make sure, oh, you fall out of love, let's get things right again. No, he's our Savior. One time he went to the cross. Not going back over and over again, oh, you sinned again? All right, I'm going to the cross again today. Oh, again? All right, let's do it again. No, once. Once for all and done. It's complete. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. If I have to depend upon my actions and my behaviors to keep me saved, I'm doomed. Breaking news, so are you. We're all doomed. I may not be the most, most wretched and vile sinner there is. Fortunately, Paul took that title for me. But I'm still a sinner. And I wouldn't trust even the greatest and the best 10 minutes of my life to ever be good enough to get me into heaven. No one will make it to heaven on his own. No one will even keep his salvation on his own. And listen to what it says in Romans chapter 4 and verse number 5. Romans 4 verse 5. It says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, I want to read that verse again. Romans 4 verse 5. It says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You know what that verse is telling us? That verse is telling us is that God doesn't offer me salvation because of my good works. To him that worketh not, you can't do anything. It's never going to be because of what you've done. God doesn't offer me salvation because of my good works. And let's be honest, they're not really good to begin with. God offers me salvation because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And the next verse there in Romans chapter 4, it goes on to say, verse number 6, it says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Without works, again. Now that word impute, it literally means to add to someone's account. The moment God saved you, he removed the mountain of debt that you had accumulated, the mountain of debt that was even passed down for, from your sin. And he removed it and he wrote and stamped on your heart the word righteous. 
You did nothing at all to earn that. And that is why the verse says that believers are blessed because God imputes, adds to your account, righteousness apart from any of our works. And then in verse number 8, there in Romans chapter 4, we read, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So he adds to your account righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and then he doesn't add to your account sin. Not only does God impute this righteousness to all who believe in him, but he blots out our sin according to this verse, to even verse 7. He doesn't add a single verse to our account. The sins that he saves us from and blots out are not just past sins and present sins, and then we're left to fend for the future sins on our own. Can you imagine if Jesus only saved us from the past and the present sins? We'd need to be saved over and over again. We would need Jesus to keep going back to that cross, but the fact that his once-for-all offering on the cross covered the debt of all sin, we're indeed blessed when we come to faith and trust in him. Because God will not impute even one sin to your account when you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Are we still going to sin? You bet we are. But the eternal punishment of that sin is not imputed to our account. It is paid for and paid in full by the blood of our Savior. Now this does not give you, Christian, an excuse and a license to go into sin as much as you want. Right? Oh, I'm done. Right? God promised not to impute sin to my life. So guess what? I have a get-out-of-jail-free card. I have a sin-as-much-as-you-want card. God says, I can do whatever I want. No, this is not at all what he's saying. But it shows us, though, that our salvation is not contingent upon how good we can be, how much we can avoid sin. Point number five, the believer's new position. The believer's new position. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Again, we're looking at some familiar verses to you, but maybe you haven't thought about these verses as verses that teach eternal security. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Romans chapter 5, it tells us that in Adam, we all die. Because from Adam, sin was passed down to every single one of us. But Romans 5 also tells us that in Christ... All believers are brought to life. Now, regardless of how you look at it, every single person is either in Adam, where they are unsaved and they're on their way to hell, or they're in Christ and they're saved and they're destined for heaven. And if you're in Christ, that is your new position. The only way for you to lose your salvation would be for Christ to no longer be the Son of God, which could never happen because Christ and the Father are one. The Bible has a lot to say about the believer's position. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, we read, it says, In whom we also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And then we read later on in Ephesians 4 verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So what these verses are telling us is that the moment that we're saved, what God does is he claims us. 
He literally marks us off. He puts his seal on us. And the seal that he puts on us is the seal of the Holy Spirit living within us. And he's not there just temporarily. He's not just there when things are going good. He's not just there when you're in church and doing what you should be doing. He is there with you from the very moment of salvation. He is there with you through all the ups and downs of life, all the way through this journey of life until his work is complete when you are in the glories of God in heaven. He is with you forever, it says, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Some people think of eternal security as something that they'll only experience once they're in heaven. That as long as they get there, once they are there, they'll know they are safe. There used to be a game show that once you won a certain amount of money, you couldn't lose that money. There, there was a mark that you, if you, as long as you, you made it to that threshold, you were guaranteed to go home with at least that amount of money. But there was no guarantee until you reached that threshold. And this is how some are understanding this idea of eternal security. That I'm not going to be eternally secure. I'm not going to have this sense of stability and peace until I'm actually there. Then I'll know for sure, okay, I'm in heaven, so everything's good. I can finally calm down. The problem with that train of thought, though, is that it's not at all what the Bible teaches. And they're putting their eternal security in a place instead of in a person, Jesus Christ. It says again in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in heaven, no. If any man be in church, no. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We have eternal security because of our position, not in the church, not even when we get to heaven, but our position in Christ. And point number six, we see the believer's eternal provision. The believer's eternal provision. One of the best and clearest teachings of the gospel and even eternal security is found in the words of Christ in John chapter 5 and verse number 24. I referenced this verse, I believe, last week, and I encourage you to highlight it, memorize it, underline it. Mark this verse off in your Bible because it is a good summary of the entire gospel and great teaching on eternal security. Just one verse, John 5, 24. And Jesus says here, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior brings everlasting life. Now, I am no wordsmith. In fact, I've been known to make up words behind the pulpit from time to time, uh, assign new meaning to words even doing that. So, But I know what the word everlasting means. I know what the word everlasting means. Everlasting means that there is a shelf life to it, right? Everlasting means that there is eventually going to come a point where it's no longer true. No! No! Lily knows what everlasting means. I bet if I asked Elijah, he knows. I bet Levi, at three weeks old, could tell me what everlasting means. Everlasting means there is no end. It does not fade after 50 years. It doesn't have to be updated. It doesn't have to be revised. It doesn't have to be amended or replaced, or refurbished. It is everlasting. And this everlasting life that believers receive through faith in Jesus Christ is the good kind of everlasting life. Because the promise is that we will not be in condemnation, it says in John 5, 24, but that we have passed from death unto life. Death, which is what we deserve before Christ, 
now to life, which is what we receive only through Christ. And what's so comforting about what Jesus says here is that we receive this everlasting life, not 20 years after you trusted in Christ, but the very moment you're saved. We don't have to wait until we're in heaven to know for sure that we have eternal security. That is why Jesus says that those who believe on him are past, he says, from death unto life. Not are passing, will pass, shall pass, have passed from death unto life. Jesus said, they that believe on him have everlasting life, not shall eventually have everlasting life, but it is certain. And again, shall have it, not have it one day, but they, they have it right away. Believers have eternal provision right now. Number seven, we see Christ's intercessory prayer. Christ's intercessory prayer shows us that we have eternal security. In John chapter 17, there's a lot there that Christ says, and I just want to focus on one verse. John 17, verse 9. Well, we'll focus on two verses. John 17, verse 9 first. We'll look at verse 15 later. John 17, verse 9 says this. Christ is praying. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now, in this context, Jesus was praying first there for his disciples. And the content of what he was specifically praying for is found in verse 15, which says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And what he's praying for is not for God to bring them to heaven immediately, because that is where they will be one day. They're destined to be there. But he says, keep them here while they're on earth from evil until that day comes when they're going to be with us. Now, Jesus would go on to pray for every single believer who would ever live in verse number 20, where he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them, them also which shall believe on me through their word. You might as well insert your name in that verse there, John 17, verse 20. Did you ever know your, your name is actually them? T-H-E-M? That's your name. That's my name. That's your name. That's every single name of every single believer. Jesus prayed for you by name. He did it in the most unique way. He called you them. And that's not the, the funky, new, you know, personal pronouns that we're using. <laughs> Jesus prayed that you and every single believer would be kept from evil until you're received unto glory. And there is no prayer of Christ that ever goes unanswered. Jesus may have finished his work on earth at Calvary when he cried out, it is finished. But his ongoing work is being done in heaven as he makes intercession daily on our behalf. He is daily interceding for every single believer, and intercession is always answered. Believers are eternally secure thanks to Christ's intercessory prayer. And the last point, I promise. Number eight, God's almighty power. God's almighty power. The Lord has blessed Ruthie and I with three children. And if anyone, and I mean anyone, tried to harm them or take them from me, you ever seen the Hulk? doesn't even come close to what you're going to face. I would do everything I could to keep that from happening, for my children, for my family getting harmed or taken from me. But I have limits. I have limits because I can only do as much as a human can do. God, on the other hand, has no limits, and his power is unfailing and limitless. Listen to what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 through 4. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. God is telling us that he, for every single believer, has laid up a treasure in heaven that no one can touch. No one can touch. You can't even do anything to squander that. No lawyer can touch it. No thief can come in and steal it. Inflation can't affect it. The passing of time won't even decay it. It is kept forever just for you as a child of God. And the next verse shows us that believers are as eternally secure as the inheritance that is being kept for us in heaven by God. It says in the next verse, speaking of believers, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You are kept by the power of God, not by your own power. Whenever we go and walk through a parking lot and there's a lot of traffic, a lot of maybe a crowd of people, we tell our kids that they have to hold one of our hands. They think that they're holding our hand, but we're holding their hand. Now, I'm not leaving it up to how strong the grip that my three-year-old has. Not even my seven-year-old who's going to be turning eight in a couple weeks. I'm not trusting in how strong of a grip she has on my hand to determine whether or not she's going to be safe as we travel through the busy parking lot or the crowd of people or whatever it may be. I'm not depending on that, how strong she can hold on to me. Now, we tell our kids that you need to hold one of our hands. What we're really telling them is, give me your hand because I'm holding it. I'm not leaving it up to them because I know I can keep them safe if they should slip. And this is what God has promised us. As much as we think that we're holding on to him, and sometimes we feel like we're just hanging on by a thread, he is actually the one holding us. We are going to slip. Our grip of him is going to loosen, but thank God we are not kept by our own power, but the almighty power of God whose strength never fades and whose grip never loosens. This is the truth that we see back in John 10, 28 and 29. Notice again what it says. Jesus says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now you're thinking, wait a second, are we in God's hand or are we in Jesus' hand? Because in 28 he says, we're in Jesus' hand, and in verse 29 he says, we're in God's hand. Now which one is it? Both. Jesus holds us here. God says, I'm covering them. So there's not a chance that anyone is ever going to harm them. There's not a chance that anyone is ever going to get to them. Are you going to be oppressed? Absolutely. Are people going to try and pluck at you? Absolutely. Are you ever going to be plucked out of the hand of the Father or the hand of Christ? Not a chance. Not a chance. For you not to believe in eternal security... What you're suggesting is that there is some power that can pry open the hands of God and allow believers to slip out of his grip. Think about that. If this were true, why hasn't it happened? Do you think the devil likes to be nice? Do you think he's taking it easy on us? I can do that, but you know what? I'll just leave them there. No. You're not going to heaven because the devil is taking it easy on you. You're going to heaven because the grace of God is keeping you. And the only reason the devil hasn't stopped it from happening is because he is no match against the Almighty God. Now, we've looked at eight reasons 
And there's numerous more reasons. For sake of time, I'll let you go home. But eight reasons that the Bible gives us for every single believer to know that he is eternally secure in Jesus Christ. So it's great to know that you're saved. It's greater to know It's great to know that you can be saved. It's greater to know that you are saved. It is greatest to know that you're saved forever. May you never forget that you're a child of God and that you're eternally a child of God. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, I'm thankful, Lord, for this great reminder because this is certainly something that, Lord, many struggle with. Lord, it may not be us right now, but there may come a day where we have some certain doubts and questions that come up with regards to our eternal security. Lord, usually during times of hardships and afflictions, these things tend to creep into our minds. May we quickly be reminded of all these wonderful truths that we've looked at all throughout your word that tell us that our position in you because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is secure, regardless of what the circumstances of our life may be because it is not the circumstances that dictate our position in you. It is your hold on us which never fails. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for realizing just how weak and frail we are and for not leaving, maintaining of our salvation up to ourselves. We love you, Lord, and we're just so thankful to be able to be here and to be called your children as we come to you in faith and trust. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.